Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee. Also the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Monticello. And I know that I pronounced that one right because my good friend Logan, who I met at the ESPN Wisconsin Fantasy Football Draft the other night, told me I should mention ESPN Monticello. And he told me to do so because it is just south, I believe, of New Glarus, which makes my favorite beer, Moon Man. So... I will be making my way over to the ESPN Monticello affiliate at some point because, of course, every once in a while I like to go over to New Glarus and get my favorite beer fresh from the source. So I will have to make sure I make my way to ESPN Monticello. No Frank Man tonight, uh, as you've probably figured out by this point, or maybe you've heard or seen someone tweet it or something, uh, my computer has gone to hell, um, which is not awesome, but that's okay. We're dealing with it. Uh, so the other night, Frank and I tried to get together uh, and record uh, an episode while I used my computer from uh, before I had my current computer and before I had the work computer before my current computer. So I'm going to go with a computer that's somewhere around eight or nine years old. Uh, it's the one I have laying around, and it's okay for internet browsing, but couldn't quite handle uh, a full-on Skype call with Frank. So we were unable to record the next part of Buck Survivor. We will try again tomorrow and then hopefully have that for you on Friday's episode. Uh, so sorry for the delay. Uh, not at all purposeful. Uh, someone tweeted at me and mentioned maybe this is the world's way of saying uh, it's the dead part of the season and... Thus, your computer should die as well. And though fun to think about in that way, um, I don't know if the universe is quite that smart, but yeah, that's kind of what happens. So, uh, no Frank. We'll continue Buck Survivor tomorrow. For now, I decided to do uh, a mini mailbag of sorts. Uh, no Frank, so it'll just be me uh, kind of going through some questions and looking and trying to figure out some answers. Uh, but before I do that, just a reminder, today's episode is brought to you by Poster Burner. You can head to posterburner.com slash bucks to get 10% off of a Poster Burner order. And what you can order at Poster Burner is your own pictures in forms that can hang on your wall, whether that be a canvas print, whether that be a poster, whether that would be a decal, a sticker, a metal print, whatever your heart can desire, they can do that for you over at posterburner.com. So go to posterburner.com slash bucks to get 10% off of your order. All right, mailbag time, hopping into the mailbag. We'll start with a question from friend of the pod, Eric Benning, and he would like to know, how do you go about eating a plate of food? Is it sampling a little bit of everything or knocking one section off at a time? This is a great question. Uh, a, a spot of much debate in the name household. Uh, my sister growing up uh, always goes section to section. Uh, she does not like mixing foods. My brother and I, the exact opposite. Everything goes together. Um, it is part of the reason I love Thanksgiving to such a degree because, one, Thanksgiving is a holiday where essentially you're instructed to eat food, maybe drink some wine, and nap while watching football. All seem like good things, especially all put together, but also 
I believe the foods that go together for a Thanksgiving meal, when you're thinking about turkey, you're thinking about mashed potato and gravy, you're thinking about uh, corn of some sort, I think typically in that uh, meal, and then, you know, even stuffing. You, You throw stuffing in there. All of those things, I think, can be multiplied together and used together, and you put together great forkfuls of food where you're going to have some corn, you're going to have some potatoes, you're going to have some gravy, you're maybe going to have a little bit of stuffing, you're going to have some turkey, you're going to put that all together and you're going to have a great bite. And so for me, how I eat a plate of food, everything all together, all the time, trying to make great bites, and typically the best way to get a great bite, put it all together. So I will answer that and tell you that I go about eating my food uh, by mixing it all. I shouldn't say mixing it up, but, you know, grabbing a little bit of everything all at one time uh, for the perfect bite. On to basketball. I may diverge back to something not basketball related, but we'll see how it goes. All right, to basketball. Lucas Van Hammond at Zuzu Kitty would like to know, what sort of tweaks do you foresee Boonholzer making to the defense? It's an interesting question because it is something that I have some questions about. Um, I'm not sure if Frank is quite as uh, is quite as skeptical here, but uh, I wonder exactly what Budenholzer will like to do defensively because as we kind of detailed when the Bucks first hired him, the Hawks teams that he have had he has had in the past have been quite aggressive. Uh, they are teams that have given up a number of threes. And this past season, they moved to a more conservative style, um, especially in guarding pick and rolls where you know they were dropping guys and trying to just let them string them along a little bit where instead of uh, aggressively attacking a pick and roll uh, defensively, they were just kind of sitting back and and trying to slow it down a little bit, draw it out and, you know, keep help in all the right spots, not over help uh, and no trapping uh, of those pick and rolls. And uh, that was a bit of a departure. And I am curious if, if that is a type of basketball that Mike Boonholzer wants to play, or if he is, uh, someone that wants to play more aggressively like he did in years past. And and maybe that was more personnel-based. Maybe he didn't have guys like Al Horford, like Paul Millsap, that he could use to be aggressive in those ways uh, this past season. And, you know, m- maybe he's a little bit younger. Maybe he wanted to find ways to slow that down. Maybe they weren't quite... Uh, I don't want to say intelligent, but experienced enough to understand some of the intricacies of switching, of recovering, of helping, and trying to do some of those things. So to me, I, I, I'm I'm really interested to see what he actually does because I think when you look back on the Bucks' defense with Jason Kidd, there there's a couple things that stick out. One is the number of threes that they gave up. They were always giving up threes. And if they weren't giving up threes, and this past year it improved a little bit, they were giving up all the points at the rim. And a lot of that was because of the scheme. A lot of that was because of some of the overhelping. A lot of that was because of some of the aggressive trapping. And as you put that all together, you know, you you see some ways that this defense can definitely improve. So I, I think you have to assume that Mike Boonholzer will tone it down some. I think he will find a way to uh, limit some of the corner three attempts. 
I think he'll find a way to limit some of the rim attempts. And, you know, with a guy like Brooke Lopez, I don't know that you have a ton of options to actually be real aggressive. He is a guy that's going to have to drop back, and I think most people expect him to play 25 to 30 minutes a night at center. So if you are going to have him on the floor and if you're going to play a certain style of basketball with him, it does to me seem like a defense is going to have to be more conservative. So I think you're going to see a lot of that. Uh, And then the other thing I think you really think of is the overhelp. We, We talked about under Jason Kidd, how often the Bucks defense would trap post-ups. We would talk about uh, how often guys would be in a gap that they didn't necessarily need to be. And then we would talk about how on the backside, the backside helper, so say it's Chris Middleton, and Middleton was one of the biggest defenders of this, and Giannis to a little bit lesser extent, but both of them did it quite a bit because they're both often put in that spot. They would be on the backside. Their guy would be in the corner. They would bring themselves all the way kind of into the lane and not stay there the whole time, obviously, but they would try to help as much as possible, try to flood the strong side of the floor, and a lot of times there would be you know, skip passes that would go over the top. There would be uh, quick swings to the sideline. There would be dribble penetration that instead of moving immediately outwards to recover to their person, uh, Middleton would kind of be in the middle of the lane and kind of be around and be trying to take away the pocket pass that might be for the big that he was helping out on. But really, maybe that wasn't a pass that could get in there. But he was still there, and then that would result in a kick to the corner, one extra pass up the floor, and then everyone's kind of in no man's land. Everyone's in scramble mode. So I think you're going to see a lot less of that overhelping, but those are habits that were built over four years. So I think it's going to take some breaking of those habits, and I think it's going to be a a little bit of a, a more difficult process than you would think because I think the easy way to think through all of this is, of course, everyone will figure it out and know that I should stop helping so much. And, you know, overnight you'll figure it out. But there's so much stuff that's going to be ingrained in these players' minds that, you know, that might take a little bit longer. And uh, I think you can kind of see some of the some of the goals and some of the value in having this team meet up before training camp officially starts on the 25th, uh, you know, their trip to New York and the team being together. You see on a number of guys' Instagram stories that they're in Milwaukee. They are lifting together. They're working out together. I think some of the value that can be had from doing all those things is, you know, finding a way to get yourself out of some of the habits you've already learned and get yourself familiarized with what the coaching staff wants you to do going forward. So I think that's going to be something very interesting, uh, something to keep an eye on. And again, you can I can really only make predictions, Lucas, but I, I would think those are some of the things you're going to see. But in the back of my mind, I, I would be lying if I said I'm not thinking about some of the ways in which Mike Boonholzer's defenses of the past have looked and in some ways resembled the defense that Jason Kidd played over the past four years. Before hopping into the next question, uh, just a reminder, today's episode brought to you by PosterBurner.com. And PosterBurner.com is a great product because when you're trying to think of cool gifts, you're trying to think of a great way to 
you know, remember the moments that you've had with your family. Summer's coming to an end. Maybe you took a fun summer vacation. You're trying to find ways to remember those things, and you're trying to find ways to do cool things with the pictures that you take. Poster Burner is a perfect place to do that. You can create a meaningful gift at a very reasonable price, and you can put it up at work. You can put it up in your house. You can find ways to, you know, remember all of those fun moments, all of those great things that you did over the summer, and you can do it at posterburner.com. It's easy, it's affordable, and the quality is truly top-notch. And again, like I said, you can do it a number of different ways. You can do posters, you can do premium canvas prints, you can do metal prints, you can do decals, stickers, banners, and much more. You can get a 24 by 36 movie-sized poster for under $20 at posterburner.com. And if you want to save some money, you can go to posterburner.com slash bucks. Again, posterburner.com slash bucks today, and you'll get an additional 10% off your order. That discount applies to every type of print they offer. Again, that's posterburner.com slash bucks. Hopping back into the mailbag here, we have a question from Aween Hoops who asks, will Bud unlock Giannis's three-point shot? And I will say... To me, I'd, I'm not overly optimistic on that one. I'm going to say no. I, I do not believe that Bud will unlock Giannis's three-point shot. May, maybe that is something that happens, but I, I think it brings together something that's uh, an, an even larger idea. And it's one that uh, recently the host of our show on ESPN Milwaukee, Homer and Gabe, Homer had said was that, you know, the only way that Giannis can truly reach his potential and truly become one of the best players in the league or go even higher, like become the best player in the league. The only way that he can do those things is if he becomes a better shooter. And I think what's interesting with Giannis is it's not something I totally agree with because I think it might be the easiest way for that to happen is being able to become a better three-point shooter. But when you think about the ways that Giannis plays, I think it's just so big that he becomes an even better playmaker. And that's why this season is kind of exciting to me is because I think you will see a coach in Mike Boonholzer who understands that, who finds ways to exploit that because the best way that the Bucks kind of did that in the last little, in the last few years was, you know, and you can imagine these possessions. You can you can think these through. The Bucks will run a a pick and roll of some sort. They'll try to get a mismatch for Giannis, and then they'll try to post him up, uh, typically on the left block, so that he can dribble with his right hand. And if he wants to get into the middle, you know, he can try to do that uh, with his right hand and then kind of look over the left shoulder. And if he wants to throw a cross-court pass, he can do stuff like that. And in many ways, those, uh, to me, that's it's kind of the LeBron package. That That is a spot where we've seen LeBron really excel. And it's it's an interesting thing to think about because those possessions took so long to get into. It took a really long time for the Bucks to get into those spots. And I think as Giannis gets better, you're going to want to see him get better in those situations. But you're also going to want to see the Bucks find other ways to take advantage of his playmaking abilities. Find other ways to get him 
get him going at a defense that's tr- is bending, is trying to find a way to recover. Like you have to find more and more ways to create that. And and to me, where where Giannis becomes really special, where where Giannis becomes the best player in the league, to me that happens when you know he's at the peak of his playmaking abilities. And and I know not everyone agrees with me. Like there's a number of people that think, you know, just give him a jump shot and everything will be fine. But uh, to me, that's where the next step is that. And it's something that we've seen him continue to improve on. Obviously we talk about the cool pass quota all the time on here or the hashtag cool pass quota, excuse me. And him seeing those passes and him being able to make those passes. And that's where the next evolution of Giannis continues. It, that's where, you know, every year you've seen him improve in points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game, that, all those things that we've talked about in the past. I think this is this is an exciting year because you're going to see him in an offensive system that's a little bit more competent. You're going to see him in an offensive system that, you know, moves his teammates around a little bit more and, you know, maybe creates some more opportunities for him to be that playmaker, to be that guy uh, that can be really special. So um, I know the initial question was about his jump shot, is about his three-point shot uh, from a ween hoops, but uh, I would say I'm not incredibly optimistic about it. I don't, I don't think he will uh, figure it out this year. You know, maybe it continues continues to progress, and then eventually it happens. But uh, the the thing I'm curious about is I, I've never gotten the. I've never gotten the feeling in all the conversations I've had with Giannis that it's particularly high on his list. I think as he tries to become a better player, he thinks about, you know, a lot of those things that I was just mentioning. You know, he thinks about the playmaking. He thinks about the ball handling. He thinks about uh, his strength, his ability to finish. He, He thinks about all of these other things that, you know, he wants to become better at that, allow him to be the player that he is right now and continue to get better. Um, and then that three point shot is kind of the, the cherry on top. And, you know, I think some people might view it differently that, you know, the three point shot should come first and then that'll open up those other things for him. But I I do believe that he is trying to perfect all of those other things. And I'm curious if we see a, a somewhat similar progression for him as we did with LeBron's career where, you know, he didn't really become a great jump shooter until he got to Miami and he was in a spot in his, his growth, his development, where he had already figured out how to do all those other things. He had figured out how to be uh, an incredibly efficient scorer. He had figured out how to become a strong playmaker. And then he, obviously he got some more help. Um, He got a guy like D-Wade that, that can make some moves and Chris Bosh that could also help spread the floor. So maybe he did get a chance to spot up a little bit more, but I do think to some extent it is also that was the next thing for him to challenge. Uh, or that was the next challenge for him to conquer. He he had already figured out all of the ways and he had figured out a number of the the very small, intricate details about NBA playmaking, ball handling, uh, all of those things in then he could move on to a three-point shot. So I am curious if Giannis moves in a similar direction. All right, next question comes from Ron, who asks, salary slash contract aside, who would you trade Giannis for? Huh. It's an interesting idea. Um, 
the tough part is, you know, do you factor age in? Uh, you mentioned salary and contract aside, um, but I guess age, you, maybe that gets included as well. If age is not included, I think I would trade Giannis. And again, this is not, in, it doesn't have a whole lot of uh, foresight, but, you know, maybe I would trade Giannis for LeBron. I think the best player on the planet. That seems like something that could work. Um, you know, maybe you trade him for Durant. But, I mean, beyond that, I don't really know who else you trade him for because there just isn't another player in the league that is that young, that talented, that good, that is going to lead a franchise going forward. So, um, you know, if you do think LeBron plus Middleton and Bledsoe can get it done, um, you know, maybe you do that. But I think it's a really tough question because I don't know what you're getting at. And maybe I need to ask for a follow-up, Ron, what exactly you're looking for in trading Giannis for or who or, or anything like that. So a um, little bit of a tough question. And, you know, maybe you can give me a follow-up and I can attempt to answer that one uh, a little bit better for you. Uh, up next, we have one from... Mr. Bones, who asks, who will be used to close out games in tight contests? Do the Bucks have their own death lineup? And if so, what will it look like? That's a good one. <laughs> I, I am... Hmm. I'm not sure how they close out games, because I think they probably start games with Bledsoe, Snell, Middleton, Giannis, and Lopez... Uh, I think the the only concern you have there is can teams find a way to play Brooke Lopez off the floor? And, you know, conversely, can the Bucks find a way to keep him on the floor? Because the exciting thing about Lopez is obviously that he shoots threes, but he is a, a little bit uh, on the slower side. His feet are a little bit on the slow side. So maybe there is some, some idea that if you're playing a team like... Uh, let's say the Portland Trailblazers, who have Damian Lillard, who have C.J. McCollum, you don't necessarily want Lopez attempting to move his feet, getting switched on to guys like that, uh, if you are really trying to lock them down late in the game. So, you know, maybe you... I'm not sure if it would be downshift or upshift here, but uh, you put Giannis at the five, uh, you bump everyone up a spot, Middleton to the four, Snell to the three, uh, and then maybe Brogdon at the two. Maybe that's something that you like along there with Bledsoe. Um, Maybe it's uh, taking Lopez out, putting Ersan Ilyasova in, and having Ersan serve as your four or five, and Giannis as your five four. I'm not really sure what numbers you want to give each of them, but maybe that's the way to do it, and Ersan isn't quite as big of a liability on some of those switches. Um, and maybe he is able to go a little bit further away from the basket. And I guess the big thing to me is, is there a successful center Giannis set up to be had under Mike Budenholzer? It was something that Jason Kidd and Joe Prunty totally failed finding a way to unlock. They just, they just couldn't figure it out. 
and I'm curious if Mike Boonholzer has that same problem. I, I tend to doubt it because I do think Mike Boonholzer is a more competent coach than both of those guys. Um, so I do think there is some hope to be had with center Giannis, uh, with him at the five and figuring out those other things in the other four spots. But as Frank has mentioned a number of times, Middleton at power forward was brutal last year. They couldn't figure it out. They just couldn't figure out a way for that lineup to work, that setup to work, and uh, I'm, I'll be very curious to see if they can do it this year. I, though I don't have a definitive answer other than to say I think the hope would be that Giannis at the five can be the death lineup. Obviously, you saw Joe Prunty roll that out uh, during the fourth quarter of game one against the Celtics in their playoff series, and they were able to make a big comeback in that spot, and they were able to run a play over and over and over again because they had enough shooters around him that made it really difficult to stop offensively and they were getting enough stops defensively and ultimately you know that's kind of the question can you find that offense defense mix and uh will it work with Giannis at the five so that'd be my guess for death lineup is some configuration with Giannis at the five or, or maybe the pseudo five with Ersan Ilyasova on the floor but that would be my guess for what you could kind of guess as the Bucks death lineup. All right, Andrew asks, can the Bucks get a top three seed? It seems to me the Sixers stayed the same, got worse, while we, I assume Andrew's talking about the Bucks, got better. I think when you look at the Eastern Conference, I think you can feel pretty confident in saying the Celtics are going to be the one or two seed, and the Raptors are going to be the two or one seed. I think that Celtics team really is primed to have a great season as they bring back Gordon Hayward. Uh, and you just think of, don't even think about the young guys. You just think of Irving Hayward uh, in Horford. That's a pretty special three-man unit. Uh, then you add in some of the younger guys. And I think that's a team that could really plow through the regular season, especially with the way Brad Stevens coaches uh, and how well they've played in the regular season previously. Uh, I just think they, they could really rattle off a, a whole bunch of wins. So I think that's your one seed. I think the Raptors with Kawhi Leonard, he's incredibly talented. I think he's better than uh, than DeMar DeRozan, obviously. Um, and then you add in Danny Green. And I think you have a, a really nice team there in Toronto. Obviously, they had a great year last year as well. So it, it shouldn't be too big of a surprise that those would be the top two teams. So essentially what this question comes down to, or at least to me, what it comes down to is, you know, looking at the the rest of the Eastern Conference and you're, I mean, I think this question is asking me, do I think the Bucks can be better than the Sixers? And I don't think I've been too shy about this throughout all of the offseason. I do. I do think the Bucks can be better than the Sixers because I think you you look at when the Sixers really became hot last year and you look at when they were playing their best basketball and it was after they had signed Marco Bellinelli and Ersani Ilyasova. And that's not to take away from how special Ben Simmons was last year because I thought he was fantastic. And that's not to take away uh, from how great Joel Embiid has been. Uh, I, I don't want to take away from them in any way, but, you know, I, I think you look around at their roster and you know you wonder kind of how they got better and I think one way would be is if Markel Fultz really 
is able to come in and make an impact like I think a lot of people thought he could when he was drafted uh, and now maybe some of the, some of those questions uh, still exist I, I don't know maybe more questions exist uh, after everything that he had with his injuries and his uh, whatever they want to call it was it a mental gap was it uh, a mental thing he couldn't get over to actually get his jump shot but like I, I don't know to me, that's how they managed to improve quite a bit this offseason and keep the number three seed. I'm not totally optimistic that that will happen, and I do think this Bucks team improved quite a bit. So um, can the Bucks get a top three seed? Yes. I think there are plenty simil- there are plenty of simulations of this season in which the Bucks are better than the Sixers and find their way into the the three seed, and you know there are a number of simulations in which the Sixers do. Uh, I I feel like it's closer to a toss-up than I, I think many people would. All right, I think this is going to be the last one that we get to. I'm just trying to look through. Trying to look through. Oh, there's a couple other good ones, but I don't think I'm going to have time for those. Uh, so the last one that, um, yeah, I, I think the last one that we're going to have here is from friend of the podcast, Dan Schaefer. And Dan Schaefer asks, what is your hottest non-Bucks take about this offseason? And, hmm, I, I'm trying to think how to how to phrase this one because I don't exactly know where he is, he is put, in, and I don't know exactly... Again, I'm not a great hot take artist, but uh, I think the the take could be distilled down into, eh, how about we pump the brakes on Jason Tatum? And uh, I think there's a a lot of reason, you know, to watch his postseason last year uh, and get really excited about it and think, you know, he's really going to have another great year. The Celtics team is going to be very good in you know, he's just going to get even better. And then all of a sudden they have Hayward, they have Irving, they have uh, Al Horford, they have all these guys. And I, I got to ask, where's he getting the shots? Because Gordon Hayward's better than him. Uh, I think there'd be a lot of people that would say Kyrie Irving is better than him at the moment and also above him in the pecking order. And then Al Horford has been very giving through, throughout his time as as an NBA player and willing to get kind of pushed aside. But it, you look at last year's regular season and Jason Tatum played 80 games. Uh, he averaged 13.9 points per game on 10.4 shots per game. And I don't know if I see where he's going to get a lot more this year. Uh, I, in fact, I, I kind of want to push back the other way and and wonder how he's getting more this year. And I just think with both him and Jalen Brown, those two really got a chance to shine as Kyrie Irving was out down the stretch, uh, and you know they kind of were able to find a way to get more shots and, and really start to make an impact. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to 
take anything away from what Jason Tatum did last year or or in the playoffs because it it was pretty great stuff. But in the playoffs, Tatum averaged 18.5 points per game, uh, 13.7 field goals per game. I don't know how he gets he gets that again. Uh, I just think with Gordon Hayward coming back, it's going to become a little bit more difficult. And then I go through uh, the 2K rankings. I go through the exercise we did when we, we ranked Chris Middleton. And a lot of people pretty easily put Jason Tatum up above there. And uh, I don't know. They, it's, it's a weird spot that uh, everyone is is very quick to push him up there and say, you know, this is, this is the next big thing. This is the next great player. And I, I mean, like I said, 2k ratings had him in the top 25 players in the league. I think that's crazy. I think that's absolutely crazy. Um, so I think my hottest take would be, how about we just chill on Jason Tatum? Let's just, let's just wait a second. We, we don't need to, uh, start the coronation quite yet. Like let's let's just calm down and see how he's able to impact a game and how things go for him this year when you know Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving and Al Horford are all on the floor. So that I believe is my hottest take, and I also believe that is the end of this mailbag. I'm uh, yeah, I, I could possibly get another one in, but I think that's going to be enough. That'll get us through to Friday and to Buck Survivor. Frank and I will be able to record once again, and everything will be great. Or actually, I shouldn't say we should. We'll be able to figure it out because maybe we can. Maybe I will fail once again to actually figure out how to get Skype to work and how we try to record it, and everything might be terrible. But that's okay because today we survived. We got through it, and I want to thank you for listening, despite Frank not coming along for the journey. And I want to thank you for all of your questions. You guys are always so kind. So thank you, thank you, thank you. This episode was brought to you by Poster Burner. You can go to posterburner.com slash bucks to get 10% off your posterburner.com order. Again, posterburner.com slash bucks gets you 10% off your order where you are able to take your own photos and create custom art, uh, create a custom print, create a custom poster. You're able to do all those great things at posterburner.com slash bucks. For Frank Men, who didn't get to join us today, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you tomorrow.